Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton, your host, joined today by Paul Wadlington, uh, the senior writer, columnist for InsideTexas.com. Paul, welcome in. Hey, appreciate it, Bobby. Anytime. Yeah, um, I was talking to you t- earlier today in Texas. I was like, "We're the old men of the group." Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I you you're clean shaven. I've got a little gray in my quasi beard here, but uh, we both ran around uh, Texas football for uh, thirty plus years and and lived with it probably in our veins longer than that. Yeah, the senior writer takes on a double connotation <laughs> in that uh, in that in that perspective. Yeah. Um, I did, I did shave for you, Bobby. I wanted you to know I had a good three day scruff going, but I was like, you know what, for Bobby Burton, I'm going to shave. I'm going to do a little makeup, do a little eyeliner, try to make it, try to make it look good. But the hair was a mess. So I had to throw in a hat. I, I, I shave, oh well, I, I shave like once a, once a week because it's just so, it's so little. Hey, let's get into it. Uh, for folks real quick, we have a number of topics we want to hit and, and they're, you know, when I talk to you, Paul, we, we try to cook up once every couple months or whatever. And when I talk to you, I try to hit really big picture topics yep. for people, because I, I think that, um, you know, we can miss the forest through the trees if we, we just pinpoint or focus on a, on a couple different things. Uh, and, and when I get you and, and, and I'm able to talk to you about it, I really want to hit some bigger topics. And right now, I, I really don't think there's a bigger topic in Texas football. There, there's actually several, but I don't think there's a bigger one uh, right now than the quarterback battle at Texas. Um, because it's really, it, it's interesting. You, you have Hudson Card, who is not the incumbent, right? Even though he won the job at the outset last year, he's not the incumbent starter. He is first off the bench. Uh, with Casey Thompson's trans- transfer. And then you have the all-everything uh, transfer in Quinn Ewers. Uh, young man, that's a state of Texas product, but goes to Ohio State for a semester before transferring back into Texas. We're now almost a week and a half through the first five, or uh, the first week of spring, or first couple weeks of spring practice. And it, it sounds like uh, Hudson Card is the number one quarterback at this time, but we don't know how long it's going to stay that way. He's definitely taking the majority of the reps with the ones. Um, and until we really see some open, open practices, uh, we've heard some positives about yours behind the scenes. We've heard that, that Card has made some, some forward steps. I really want to get your take on it as someone long-term, long-time observer of Texas football and really ask you what you think about uh, this quarterback battle I mean what what are your true thoughts on it the good the bad the ugly so I'm glad you're asking me about the quarterback battle because after that build-up about the big picture I thought you were going to ask me about the inverted yield curve and as a predictor of the recession but now I I can actually talk knowledgeably about this so uh, or pretend to talk knowledgeably about it so honestly you, you mentioned Carr taking the lion's share of number one reps he should he should and I think that has to do with the fact that yours needs to earn his, his reps. He needs to earn the respect of his teammates. Uh, Card is certainly not the incumbent. Um, you know, is, is there such thing as a decumbent? Uh, I guess that's what Card is, right? He was, and then he wasn't. And then at the end of the year, near the end of the year against West Virginia, he flashed about a quarter and a half of good football where he showed good recognition, stood in the pocket, hit a deep throw, and you're starting to think it's starting to click, and then he gets a, a base, effectively a season-ending season injury. So he should be taking the lion's share of the ones. To me, that's just football hierarchy. Um, that's fine. It does, it's not predictive, right? It doesn't mean anything right now. And then in terms of breaking down the battle, you know, I wrote an article about this. Ian did a good job, I think, 
writing about what each quarterback might open up in the offense and, you know, sort of what they're good at. And, you know, we can get a little too carried away with that one. You know, Quinn Ewers is a better athlete than is perceived, right? He's already being categorized as just this pure thrower. He's actually a fairly athletic guy. And then Card, um, although he is very athletic, I wouldn't say he's a particularly instinctive runner, or at least he didn't show that last year. So I think the offense can operate well with either guy. Um, ultimately, there's a couple of levels to this. So for one, I think we underestimate the ability to know the offense or change a play at the line of scrimmage. And that's important to any offensive coach, but certainly Steve Sarkeesian. So recognition, knowing where to go with the ball against a certain defense or coverage, but also the ability to get us out of a bad play. You know, that was an underrated aspect of, of Sam Ellinger at the end of his career, that he'd just get Texas out of a bad run play and get him into a right, the correct run play, and you get an easy nine yards. And, you know, that, that, there's a lot of value in that in a quarterback. Similarly, Sarkeesian understands that his offense can really function at a high level if you can make every throw on the college football field. And if you can make that throw with touch, with accuracy, with, with arm spin, right? You mentioned that when, when you see Ewers throw the ball, there's a little bit of a different RPM and spin on it. Hudson Card certainly does not have a weak arm either, but there were some touch issues. And that seemed to be one of Ewers' strengths, at least at the high school level. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Because if you can really legitimately threaten every part of the football field in a college passing offense, boy, there's a lot of easy yardage available for you because a lot of defenses are built on cheats, basically saying, ah, these guys can't make these throws. So we don't need to really cover that. We're not worried about that. We're worried about, you know, getting some, some, uh, some congestion in the middle of the field. And we're worried about some of these easy throws in the flats. And we're worried about simple, easy streak, deep balls inside the hashes. Right. And so if you can really threaten the whole field, you can really open up the field and make it big. And that's where you get a, you know, Bijan Robinson and, and some of those other weapons really get used. Xavier Worthy, of course. So there's also a leadership aspect. Um, we're going to see how that eventuates. Um, but ultimately, and you mentioned Card taking the majority of the line, you know, number one snaps. The reality is we need two quarterbacks going into the fall. And if one of them has a sense that this is not an open job anymore or that they're not in a dead heat, you run the risk of either transfer or effectively them removing themselves from the competition and seeking other venues for their skills. So I think you've got to, and I suggested this last year with Casey Thompson and Hudson card, because people were saying, Oh, okay. You know, Casey, look at all the throws he had in the spring game. And you look at the personnel that card was working with and who Casey was working with and, it seemed like uh, Sark was tip, putting his finger on the scales a little bit to, to keep the, uh, the quarterback job artificially close. Yeah, I, and, and I agree with that. I think we all saw what happened, and I felt like I, I understood what happened in the spring game to a large degree. But at the same time, I didn't feel like Hudson Card did enough, even with the twos, to supplant no. anybody or anything. Either way, I think, I think that – Texas is going to be in a, a a little bit of a pickle here. I think they're, you know, you can't continually be in a quarterback battle as a program. Um, and I think that it, you you and I know that when you have, um, it, it's it's a much easier way or much more clear path to a great football team if you have a Vince Young or if you have a Colt McCoy that you know are your guys. Yep, And everybody can kind of rally around. And this is year two of a quarterback dilemma more than a quarterback battle, almost. I think that that's probably how I would phrase it in that a battle means there's a victor. Well, last year, was there really a victor or was it just a dilemma all year long? Because Card had problems early. Thompson came out of the, 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 the gates firing and then just, the pop gun went, went pop, right? Yeah. It was um, the war of attrition. Yeah. And so and neither side wanted to win. It was World War One, right? Yeah. And so how do you, how do you see it from that standpoint of, 
is, is do we think you and I both or either one of us, do you or I think that Texas is on the cusp of maybe having a quarterback battle as opposed to a quarterback dilemma? Does that make yeah. sense to you? And that's where I don't know the answer. And I don't know that we're going to know that answer until the fall, really, even despite what we might see in the spring, spring game, stuff like that. Yeah, if I'm understanding your definition of that in the vernacular is a quarterback battle is when the winner wins 11 games and the transfer goes to LSU and wins the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> well, it's not quite that. It's not that quite, not quite that way, but you get the, you get the point though. I mean, the point is, is the guy who lost goes and probably starts somewhere and is a good quarterback in their own right. 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 Yeah. Um, and as opposed to, well, we started this guy didn't work, you know, Arkansas. Right. Well, now we got to switch horses and, you know, you mentioned Vince Young and Colt McCoy. We tend to look back retrospectively fondly, obviously, because they're the two best quarterbacks in Longhorn history. Save it, baby boomers with the James Street stuff. But um, Colt McCoy was not always the clear guy. Uh, you know, remember sophomore Colt, the one who threw 17 interceptions and people are saying start John Childs and before, you know, Jevin Sneed and all that, right? It wasn't until his junior year, of course, he had a great promising redshirt freshman season with the holdovers from the national title team, but wasn't until his junior year that he became Colt effing McCoy. Uh, Vince Young, similar. We always saw the talent, but it didn't really fully come together. Maybe you could argue to that Michigan Rose Bowl where you went, and I was there, I was blessed to be there, and I just remember looking at the person I was with, and I was like, oh, we're going to be back here. And, and it, it was that obvious that it all clicked for him. And, um, you know, but it wasn't an easy journey. You know, Vince Young got pulled in the game, right, for not being effective. Um, you know, there were people <laughs> well into his redshirt freshman year trying to move into wide receiver or arguing for it. So these, these coronations are not always clear, and there's going to be some, some wounds on the way. So we can't give up on a guy if he has a bad game if we think he's the guy. Yeah, I, I think that I, I agree with you. And um, I remember the, the, the Texas Tech game that Chance Mont came back and led Texas to a victory late, uh, you know, and, and at the same time, like you, I was at the Rose Bowl watching Vince Young, um, I think a year and a half later, just annihilate, or not annihilate, but just dominate Yeah, um, uh, some pretty good competition. I, I think that, that when I'm talking quarterback at Texas right now, I, I, I put a big question mark on it. You know, I, I'm waiting for that position to be a plus instead of a I don't know. And I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about that because my next topic that I want to get into with you, Paul, is really what do you see as the, the ceiling and the floor for this Texas team? And, and I know they're still recruiting some guys in the, the portal, so you don't truly know that. Uh, but th that's really my next question is, where do you think Texas could end up this year, uh, given what you know now, maybe what you think they're going to get in the portal, uh, and then uh, all of the pieces in between, with, including the competition they are, they are up against uh, in the Big 12? So we've got O'Shawn Mathis in this prediction? Yeah, I think so. I mean, hey, look, he is going to visit uh, Nebraska, uh, not this week, but next weekend. Uh, expected back to Texas, possibly for the spring game, possibly the week before. Uh, but uh, it looks like Texas is is a is favored in the in the in that, and I think he's he would be a key piece uh, because of the position he plays and because of the lack of talent Texas has at that spot right now. And do we land some one other random stud, maybe a linebacker or just something? No, I don't think I don't think there's going to be any other random stud. I, I think they may find pieces, but um, right now I, I just and, and they may find and they may get lucky. But I I really think that just with Mathis right now. Um, that's probably the one that, that, that matters most in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so look, the, the floor is a repeat of last year, five and seven, six and six disappointing season, uh, injuries at the quarterback indecision at quarterback defense, maybe doesn't put it together. Offensive line doesn't gel, uh, the upside 10 and two playing in the big 12 title game. And then probably the fat part of the bell curve is eight and four-ish, um, which, you know, you could view that as certainly an improvement. It's a three-game improvement. 
Um, you could also say ultimately not where we want to be, but at least it's it's headed in the right direction, right? Um, you know, I we, we're talking about Ewers and Card, and I can't help but think that one of the other reasons we want both guys thinking that they have a viable shot well into late August, right, before they name the starter. There's no reason for Sarkeesian to name the starter before then, right? Um, I They both have a quarterback injury history. And if your offensive line isn't exactly loaded and, you know, Sark, Sark does a good job scheming up protections, but he'll trade a shot on the quarterback for a free shot downfield to an open receiver, right? And so you have to realize that, you know, there's a chance that we're going to really need both guys, whether one guy is the guy and but someone needs to come in and win two games or, or whatever. And I don't think the backup, the backups behind them, I think it's a significant drop off. Um, yeah, I, I just think a, an Alabama or a Georgia is loaded enough everywhere else that they can have the big question mark at quarterback and they're going to be fine. They may not play in the, in the playoffs, but they'll be just fine. They'll play good football. Texas isn't there. And, and that's how most of college football lives. You know, they don't have the guy established and, you know, they're hoping to, to hit a quarterback. So I think if the quarterback hits, that's a big part of it. And then the defense getting right is the other big part of it. That's, that's the biggest part of that prediction and the biggest part of that swing. Um, Texas defense. And, and, and I agree with you. That's the, that it seems to me if Texas can get adequate quarterback play, uh, as good or slightly better than what they got a year ago. Mm-hmm. You, you bring back a healthy Bijan Robinson. You have Xavier Worthy. Uh, Isaiah Nayor, I think, is going to be a, a difficult uh, a difficult task for some opponents. And you just get a better on defense. Texas should be in good shape in the Big 12. There aren't that many good teams right now. Um, you can say what you want, but, but OU is – uh, changing s- schemes on both sides of the ball. Um, they, they probably have the most talent in the Big 12 right now. Oklahoma State brings back a four-year starter at quarterback. Baylor's got to kind of start new on defense uh, with a lot of new faces. Um, and K-State probably has the biggest weapon in the Big 12 with, with Deuce Vaughn maybe outside of Bijan. So I just wonder, you know, is this – you know, you said 10-2. and two, Just because they're not that good a team – uh, Texas is not, not as talented as maybe they, they've been in, in, uh, in its history, but I, I'm, in, I'm in this situation where I think Texas has enough chance to be really good on offense to not only hit the fat end of that bell curve, but maybe on the upper echelon of it. Um, I, I agree with you, though. Uh, a repeat of last year, you know, is, is always possible given parameters that we don't we're unsure of, and that includes quarterback injury or what have you, but, uh, and, and, or, and, or a meltdown on defense. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's possible. I mean, you said floor ceiling and that's the realistic floor that I saw. Um, yeah, I tend to shade a little higher and I, I think there's a lot of unknowns. And one thing I have encouraged people over the years to think about, particularly they do people do this with depth charts, right? They'll see six names at tight end and they're like, oh, look at the depth we have at tight end because these are all familiar names and you remember them when they were recruits. And then you sort of say, well, none of these guys are good. So how can you say we have depth there? It's, it's not having an aggregation of names you recognize. It's having good players. And so I think we've fallen into a little bit of a trap sometimes with Texas where because we have such name familiarity with some of our players, Oh, how are we ever going to replace player X? Oh, what are we going to do about this? And it's like, he's replaceable, right? He's upgradable. And if we put in some of these new guys, um, there's a chance that it's not just we're scraping by and hoping, you know, keeping our fingers crossed. These guys could be better. You know, putting a a, a redshirt freshman Earl Thomas in the backfield, that was an upgrade. And, And people were real scared about that, if you'll recall. Um, that whole secondary, a true freshman, Blake Gideon, you know, the young corners and et cetera, um, that, that defense proved just fine. And so there is an opportunity for new blood uh, to, to assert itself. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns. And, you know, ultimately, I, I think that's why Kwiatkowski, you know, the, the refrain you hear from people all the time is, well, he didn't forget how to coach. No, he didn't forget how to coach. But that's also not a it's not a blank check for the rest of your life. I, 
I'm a decent writer. I didn't forget how to write. If I turn in three garbage articles in a row at Inside Texas, maybe you should give me a call. I mean, do, I, I, I've yet to see one bad one, so we'll have well, to talk Well, thank you, about but I, you should. I, I mean, yeah. are you going to let I, me I understand stay? your point. It, it's, Am I going to say, well, Bobby, I didn't forget how to write. Yeah, you're gonna say, I, I think you're, I, th I get you. I think that you, you make a good point in that, you know, the, the proof is what matters. You know, the, in, yeah. the end result is, is really what, what coaches, not just writers aren't even judged by the end result per se. We can get predictions wrong all the time and go yeah. on down the road. Coaches, however, truly are judged on the end results. And um, I think that's, that's a legitimate point. Let me ask you about something that Ian said, and you mentioned the depth chart, and that's what made me think of it almost immediately, because I thought what he said was so true. He said, if you think about the Texas defensive front, if you were to, to hold a player draft just on the best players on that defensive front, probably the first four guys on the defensive front would all be either defensive tackles or nose tackles. Yeah. Not not anybody on the edge first off the board. That tells you just how bad they need an O'Shawn Mathis, first of all. Yes. But second of all, it speaks to just, even with name familiarity or what have you, uh, you know, the, the cupboard is not full. I'll just put it that way. Yo, Bobby, it's funny. We've talked about the portal as being almost a form of free agency uh, or like, GMs being able to parlay and, and all that. And there's, there's truth to that. Obviously it's, it's a, it's a brave new world. The difference, the distinction is we can't take our glut of talent on the interior defensive line and at running back and then go get assets with that. Right. All you can do is try to find a way to utilize them, or you just have some unhappy guys who aren't getting their reps and they're better football players than the guy who's starting out at linebacker or defensive end. And that's just the reality of the team. You have these weird aggregations of talent, and then you have these areas where there's a complete paucity of talent, proven talent at least. Yeah, I, I, I think you're, I think you've got the right term there, um, Paul Wadlington. And I want to, I want to promote a couple of things that you do because I think it's, uh, they're, they're fine work. Uh, host of a weekly podcast, uh, co-host of a weekly podcast called Everyone Gets a Trophy. I, I listen to it on a regular basis. Uh, I listen to it on Apple. I'm sure it's on spot. I'm sure it's on all of the, the app services. And then uh, really one of the, the hallmarks of what you do is a, a preseason magazine slash book called Thinking Texas Football. It's one of a kind uh, for people who haven't read it before. Usually comes out uh, in early July uh, and you can find it on Amazon uh, and other booksellers uh, on the web. Uh, but Paul is a, a terrific writer and uh, someone with an innate knowledge and, and really hardworking writer uh, to, to really understand and grasp all aspects of the Texas football team. And then within the magazine itself, you also even go further into other teams in the Big 12 and opponents for Texas uh, that year, as well as uh, the Texas personnel. Um, speaking of Texas personnel, uh, right now, and, and this is a big picture question, Texas in the midst of these two big recruiting weekends, kind of sandwiching them right now when you and I are talking. Um, but the, the question I have for you is Arch Manning, okay? Um, is, is there too much, excuse me? What position does that guy play? <laughs> yeah, he, he plays centerpiece is what he plays. Yeah. And, and that's my question really. Hi, Piper. Yeah, is there too much emphasis on him at this point in your opinion? Um, any parallels you draw from other players in the past uh, and your thoughts in the, um, on the entire thing right now uh, with, with him as a, as a recruit in Texas's pursuit of him? Yeah, you know, that's such an interesting series of questions. I had, before I get to those, I, I, I thought someone asked something perceptive on the boards, which is if his name was Jack Johnson, from Tulsa, Oklahoma, would he be the number one quarterback recruit in the country? The answer is no, I don't think he would be. But I think that that's forgetting that the mental eval, the preparation, the ability to handle the spotlight, that's all part of being a quarterback. And the Mannings have demonstrated 
you know, and people will say, well, this is just you're, you're anointing someone because of their family lineage. Well, their family lineage is not full of. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Incredible athletes, per se. I mean, uh, the grandpa is the best athlete in the family, right? If you ever watched old Archie Manning, right? He, he was an athletic dude. Peyton was great as, as within his construct as, as, a, as a, a pure passer. Eli the same, but not exactly dynamic guys, right? And But what they showed was incredibly high-level uh, football IQ, poise, the ability to, to take the spotlight. I mean, Eli almost as much as Peyton just because of where he played, right? And that matters. That really does matter. So when people say as a pure just evaluation, would he be the number one recruit in the country? Maybe not if his you know name last name wasn't Manning. He'd still be well regarded, I promise. But um, you also have to factor in all that other stuff, and that the the likelihood that he's got a higher football IQ than the average Joe. Yeah, so much of uh, football at a high high level is between the ears. Yes, right. And and I'll never forget. I went and watched Peyton Manning in high school back when I. I was early in my career covering uh, high school football and recruiting. And I went and watched uh, Isidore Newman and I, and I walked away from that meeting with him, with that coaching staff and watching it a two a small two a popcorn league in Louisiana. I was like, I had just gone to see Marshall Falk's old high school. I mean, with <laughs> athletes galore you know, wow. and I went that night to go watch Isidore Newman. It was like, there are no athletes on the field and Peyton Manning's not necessarily an, what I would call an athlete. Right. Um, but I walked away from there and I, I go, I think I just saw the best player in the country. And it, it had zero to do with how fast he was. It had everything to do with mentality, mm-hmm. uh, quickness of release of recognition and just realizing that the dude had so much, uh, his, his eval above the shoulders was as high as you can never get Yeah, for, for a, a guy. And there was a guy named, I don't know if you remember a guy named John David Booty uh, yeah. or Josh Booty, excuse me, the, the quarterback out of Shreveport that everybody thought was a better recruit. Like LSU wanted him over, over Peyton Manning at some points. Yeah. And I remember going and watching him play at Shreveport Evangel and saying this is not the same caliber, they're yeah. different. They're different level of um, seriousness. And Sark not, ends up coaching Booty. Yeah, yeah, he does at, at SC. And and my point to that uh, um, is, I agree with you. He wouldn't necessarily be the number one ranked player in the class, but that doesn't matter because that's not the case. Mm-hmm. He is a tremendous prospect and. Um, I can, you know, I've watched as much film as, as is out there on him and he's got a lot of the same mentality. He's a little bit of a bulldog, even though he doesn't act like one, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, which I think is a, is a, is a good mentality on a football field at times, not unlike Sam Ellinger in that way. Um, but a little bit more, uh, deft with passing than Sam ever was or, or has been. And so I, I can see all of that. But the question I have for you is the hype around him. Is it? Yeah. Are are we putting all of our eggs in this basket? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, we are. (laughs) We are because the payoff is. So there've been a couple of parallels that people have tried to draw of a comparable recruit at quarterback. And the only two that I, I can think of in recent history are Chris Sims and Vince Young. Chris Sims was different though, because he sort of came late in the process and because he was up in Jersey uh, and even though he was the son of a, a successful NFL quarterback, there wasn't this sense of hype and nor was Chris Sims viewed as this Pied Piper that if you get him, you're going to lock up the following dudes that are going to come with him. Right. In fact, he was a pretty late addition. Wasn't he? If I recall yeah. correctly. Yeah. He originally committed to Tennessee 
Yes. And then Tim Brewster kept recruiting him and he, and he changed to Texas in that was the, that was the mid-January. Famous, uh, the famous white table, black table, white table, black table, right? Yep. And, you know, he just felt more at home at Texas and, and unfortunately that didn't exactly work out for him ultimately, but I hope Texas fans have come around on that. Um, and then Vince Young, I mean, if you saw Vince Young, I mean, whole just what he was in high school and people were like, Oh, I'm not sure about his passing. And it's like, dude, this, this guy's on roller skates. <laughs> and just, I mean, it, it, the rest of the, I mean, good uh, class 5A high school football in Texas in the playoffs and his supporting cast was not good at, at Madison. Uh, he's just making them look like children. And it was just so obvious. So was Vince Young, um, was he a Pied Piper in the sense that Arch is? Probably not even as much as, as like, I guess Manning is perceived. Jerry knows this much better than me, probably better than anybody but you know I did get a sense that if you got Vince you were going to seal up not only this class but maybe the class the next year and I think that's kind of how it played out so Vince so I think worth putting those eggs in that basket probably if you can get that payoff I do believe you're you're correct in a couple of things one is um Chris Sims was highly rated in uh, but was not the Pied Piper. He did help recruit Roy Williams, B.J. Johnson, and Sloan Thomas the next year. Yep. Um, uh, but not necessarily the Pied Piper. And he came at a time when Texas was trying to get back to where they wanted to be, right? Uh, Ricky Williams had just won the Heisman. It was Mac Brown's uh, second year, really, uh, at the helm. And so uh, there's a lot of lot of draws there that I think are parallel to Chris Sims. He's also an out-of-state quarterback. Arch is an out-of-state quarterback with a big name, uh, big last name, just like Chris was. The difference, I think, um, though, is, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I, first of all, think that Louisiana to Texas is a lot different than New Jersey to Texas from a uh, culture standpoint, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think that Arch Manning is going to show up on the Texas campus coming from the airport in the limousine, uh, like Chris Sims did. And so there's just a little bit different take there on, on that and, and what fits more naturally. Um, I, I worry that it's, it's too many eggs in one basket, like you said. Um, at the same time, you know, if you hit on it, it's like if you're in Vegas and you're, you're on a hot streak, you roll. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't walk away necessarily. And so um, I, I just think it's interesting where this is going because if Texas does uh, is lucky enough to, to sign Arch Manning, I think things are going to be uh, recruiting is going to go extremely, extremely well for Texas. If they don't, you know, is it is it over there? And I don't necessarily think that's the case either because I think the Texas coaches have done a good job, uh, particularly on defense and at, at even at the wide receiver position uh, and O line position of being depth seekers and making sure they're in on enough guys with the with the right mentality that have some natural ties to Texas I just uh, I'm, it's something that I think from a big pic, big pictures perspective I mean you're a guy that's been around this for 30 years I mean you and I know that when you're looking at a situation like this it can be it can have ripple effects for 10 years right mm -hmm. and I think that's that that's where this is with with uh, Arch Manning in my opinion well so I'm curious, I think Sark's natural personality and recruiting style plays well in the early phases and middle phases of this recruitment. He's laid back, he's relational, he wants to talk ball. That's gonna play really well with the Mannings. Like they're not gonna respond well to some snake oil salesman who's sweating upper lip and the hair slicked back like Chris Farley on SNL, right? The van by the river skit and trying to sell that kid on our school. And, you know, we're, we need you arch. They're not going to respond to that, but there is going to come a time in this process, nut cutting time for lack of a better term, where Steve's got to lean over and go, are we doing this? Because if, if we're not, I have to go get my quarterback. And I think, I hope at some part of the process, the Mannings will understand that as well. Right that Arch 
you know, does have an appeal to other recruits. And if you wait and make this go too long, you kind of lose some of the value and he loses some potentially really good teammates. Right. So I, I do think there's going to be a time when Sark has got a not full court press, but he's going to say, are you in or are you out? And yeah. I don't know when that time is. Yeah. I, I think that he's got to at least get an official visit through. I don't know if he's going to be able to, I mean, I really think that Manning's control the timeline. Uh, Arch does himself when it's time he'll, he'll make his decision. I, I don't think he knows what that is right now. And I think he's trying to figure it out. And so uh, all you can do at some point is wait as well. You don't want to be, oh, to your point, you can't be over aggressive and, and poison the well, so to speak, but you can uh, be realistic and honest. And uh, the sort of cognoscenti's best view on their, the second tour or the, the, the other best candidate, is it Georgia? Is yeah, it I think, I think that most people believe that it's Texas and Georgia right now. Um, Alabama though, gets a visit this weekend. And, and I think that, you know, everybody knows that, that things can change in, in a moment's notice uh, when you're talking about that. The one thing I will say that Texas has in its favor against both Alabama and Georgia is that Steve Sarkeesian is the head coach at Texas and he is the offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. um, both Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are defensive guys to their core and they do hire well. Um, particularly Nick Saban has shown a penchant to hire very well of late on the offensive side. I say of late because he didn't always. Um, but my point to, to that is uh, Georgia is thought to be the main competition. Alabama's in there. Um, but I, I feel like Texas from a offensive perspective, this would be a choice more like Eli Manning going with Ole Miss mm -hmm. where David Cutcliffe was the head coach as opposed to Peyton going with Tennessee where Phil Fulmer was an O-line coach and he had David Cutcliffe as the offensive coordinator, right? And so I, th I think that that's kind of the question that I have in my head in trying to wrap myself and uh, understand really. Uh, but ultimately, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I, I think Texas has done a good enough job though from a recruiting perspective where if they do miss on him for whatever reason, I don't think they're going to be uh, out of luck all, all across the board. Uh, they've gotten some, their first two commitments are on defense. I think they're on the cusp of adding a couple more defensive commitments in the next uh, week, two weeks right now from some talented players. So uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Yeah. And I, I got to think the linchpin of that recruiting class prior to, to Arch is that offensive line class. And to be able to line that group up, and say, look, it's coming and it's going to coincide with when you're taking snaps for the University of Texas. You know, Quinn Ewers is not going to be the beneficiary of this offensive line right away. Some of these guys are going to trickle in the depth chart. You can count on that. But their full weaponization, we're three years out from that. And yeah. if these guys pan out the way they could, man, if you can just get a couple of skill guys, which should not be a problem, you're going to, you're going to have an offense. It's not going to be a problem. I haven't had you on this this uh, spring yet, and so and, and since the hire of Gary Patterson, I haven't had you on. I, I want to know what your thoughts are on that hire and that addition to the Texas staff. Boy, there's some pros and cons here, and I know people don't always want to hear the potential cons, uh, the you know the too many chefs in the kitchen potential. But the pros are obvious. Gary Patterson's a ball coach. He's a program builder, and yes, he fell off at TCU. I documented that. Um, I've been documenting that, that TCU is held in awe by Texas fans because of their penchant for whipping and humiliating Texas. They're not doing that to the rest of the Big 12. And I say that with all respect to Gary Patterson for what he built there at what is effectively a third tier program, you know, at its base in Fort Worth. And he took it to the freaking Rose Bowl, right? And, and won. So that's an achievement. He belongs in the college football coach hall of fame. I think he lost the eye on the prize a little bit late in his career as coaches are wont to do, right? My joke was that he learned the names of his kids and recorded a country album and, you know, started traveling to Venice with his wife and, you know, started actually living life rather than just breathing, breathing and living football. And I think he knows that. And this is a chance for him to, provide some feedback about what he's learned the hard way. And 
if Sark's amenable and open to that feedback, I think it can help him. Um, and obviously Patterson needs to be political and, and smart in how he gives it. I think his biggest contributions can happen at the top level. Not necessarily, hey, if you thought about running inside zone more, I think it's going to be more like, hey, uh, your guys don't seem very strong. Or, hey, why are you doing this drill in practice? What, 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 what are you getting out of that? I used to do that drill, but I threw it away. Here's why. You know, I think that sort of stuff could be valuable. Hey, yeah, I went to the training table. I noticed um, it's all you can eat. <laughs> and you got a couple of guys who are uh, pushing heavy weight. And then I noticed some of your skinny guys aren't being made to eat more, right? Uh, Xavier Worthy is not going to play his whole career at 160 pounds. You know, at some point he's got to get up to, you know, God help him 170. So um, I think some of those contributions could be helpful or just how to structure a staff meeting in, in an interest, you know, a, a different way. You know, these, these are things Sark has been exposed to, like the dude coached for Saban and Carroll. It's not like he hasn't had great influences, but it helps to have another head coach around who can look at things. Sarkeesian can't be everywhere at once. And so that's the best value of Patterson top level. Medium level, you know, Pete Kwiatkowski, I guarantee you his eyebrow raised a little bit when they brought on Patterson. You know, Patterson's a defensive coach. He's the de facto defensive coordinator at TCU when he was there, at least near the end. And um, he's got strong opinions about how you should run personnel and run schemes. And that could be a huge advantage or it could be a source of friction and tension. And let's be honest, if things go really bad, if you're looking at worst case scenario and Kwiatkowski's last year was not just a fluke, um, Patterson's a potential mid-year replacement. That's a fact. So anyone who doesn't think that's a possibility, I think you're whistling past the graveyard. I don't think it's likely, but it's, it's part of hedging your bets. Um, the question is, is Gary Patterson going to be, you know, Steve Sarkeesian's Dick Tomey? Remember when Dick Tomey came in? former very respected head coach at Arizona, sort of did more with less, right? Particularly those desert swarm defenses, just like, uh, you know, Patterson in that regard. And Tommy came in and gave some pretty frank feedback to Mac Brown. And that was a, because Mac looked up to him, uh, Mac has a hierarchy, right? He's a traditionalist. And these older coaches, he puts them on a pedestal. And so, Dick Tomey could tell him some things that other people could not tell him. And I think it helped the program, right? So, you know, I think that's the upside potential of Gary Patterson. The downside is too many cooks in the kitchen. Egos get involved. You start to rub raw on some of the staff. Um, you know, what's Gary Patterson doing here? What, why does he have an opinion on what my DBs are doing? Um, you know, are we running a four, two, five, or are we running, you know, a three, three, um, a three, three, five, whatever, you know, whatever there's some potential for that. And, and some of that, you know, depends also on Patterson's level of engagement and how he sees this, you know, he's also a little pissed off. I think he still wanted to be at TCU. And I think this might be an opportunity to, you know, show people he still can coach ball and he's still viable. So we'll see. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with your point about the the um, higher end thought processes. Uh, when I I would tell you that um, ten years ago, if Gary Patterson could choose players for Mac Brown, Mac yes. Brown would still be the coach at Texas. <laughs> no doubt about that. And, and because Mac. Because Mac could have landed Gary Patterson's first choice because Gary Patterson was often getting his fourth choice. Right. 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 And so that's my point is uh, those are those are the things that that I think he can help with to your to your idea. I do think Texas has improved its its over time has improved its personnel department. Now they don't need as much help as I thought they did 10 years ago. Right. When it was when there truly was no quote unquote, recruiting coordinator. Uh, it was just still the assistant coaches doing it all. Now they have a full-blown uh, uh, personnel department. And I think, I think those guys do a good job. Uh, but if there is an influence to be had there, it's, it's finding the players that maybe fit, uh, fit uh, that profile of, of Gary Patterson, where he, he takes a lot of guys 
that still have some some growth ahead of them instead of the the uh, class 6a or 5a guy that's from the big school that's already maxed out his his bench press and his squat and everything else and his had athleticism personal, had a personal trainer since he was 12 right right yeah gary patterson was getting guys who were missing meals and not you know not eating breakfast and um you know playing quarterback and then he transitions them two years later to an all big 12 linebacker right so yeah i i hope that that i hope if, if there's something to be said i think i hope that's something that's uh uh, particular to this relationship. I don't know that that it will be because I think Texas does have a good handle on recruiting right now, but um, it's one of those things. Paul, uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you again. Uh, Paul Wadlington, senior writer, InsideTexas.com. Also the co-host of Everybody, Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast. Uh, can be found on Apple Podcasts and uh, the author of Thinking Texas Football uh, due out in early July. Uh, Paul, thanks. I'll see you on the boards on InsideTexas.com, and I uh, appreciate your time, man. Hey, I'll see you on the boards. And hey, uh, the speaking of everyone gets a trophy podcast, I did top five wide receivers of all time. I saw that. And so the first two were easy, but um, I was I was curious about your input on that one. Okay, so what, what did what was your final list? Because I've been busy doing a bunch of these uh, podcasts and stuff myself. Sure. Was, I know Roy was certainly one of them. Roy Williams was certainly one Shipley's of them. Shipley's number one. Roy Jordan number Shipley. two. Yeah. Um, um, so Shipley and, and Roy, definitely top two. Who were the others? So I tried to give a little bit of a hat tip to the prior eras because Texas, as you as we both know, didn't really discover the forward pass until the 80s, arguably the 90s under Makovic, right? But I um, to, to give a little bit different flavor uh, Kevin Dunn, my co-host, gave his list. Um, so, and we talked about who who was just on the cusp. So, I uh, did Johnny Lamb Jones. I did Hub Bechtall, Bobby Lane's guy, and then uh, Cotton Spire. Yeah, and Cotton obviously suffered from a lack of volume, but uh, lots of big plays. So, it, it was a different take. Obviously, I would have put Quan, I could have put Quan Cosby in there. I could have put Duvernay. Um, you know, obviously, uh, I think Kevin had Mike Adams in his top five near, you know, near the bottom. It's, it's actually an interesting list and it's actually pretty debatable after the first two, just because it's so fluid and you have a lot of one year wonders. Wayne McGarity in his one year was phenomenal, but he just had that one year. Yeah. Kwame Cavill had a good career as well. Kwame Cavill, good possession guy. I tell you what, it's almost, it's, it's almost too hard when you start including those to your point giving the hat tips to guys that I never saw play yeah I mean I've seen highlights of Cotton Spire since I was you know uh, a young kid but I never actually saw him play live when I was an adult you know and so comparing him or Hub Bechtall or even Lamb Jones to a degree I, I saw him when I was just a, a young kid um, what a laugh Bobby, there's a YouTube clip, I hope it's still up, of Lamb Jones returning a kickoff for a touchdown. It's it's the fastest human being you've ever seen running in Austin, Texas. It's crazy. I'll tell you one person that I, I talked to over the years about this kind of stuff, because I did some all-time Texas teams back in the day, Paul. And the guy that I talked to that I found probably the most helpful out of anybody, uh, other than maybe David McWilliams, he was a really good help on this stuff he saw him and, and Bill Little was some help with was helpful was a guy named Ken Dabbs mm -hmm. um, and Dabbs was the recruiting coordinator for Fred Akers during all those years and and a, a longtime high school head coach in Texas and uh, the one receiver that he was really really high on and played several years in the NFL that not many people talk about is a guy named Alfred Jackson oh yeah um, and he played for the Falcons for for years and was on on the team with Earl uh, and, and Lamb Jones, but he was more of that real receiver as whereas Lamb Jones was this kind of everything, right? Force of nature. Yeah, yeah. But not very refined. Yeah, and I will say this, uh, based on what I've seen thus far, I would, I would not hesitate to say that Xavier Worthy is going to earn a spot in that group. Um, he, he is going to be on that. Yeah, God yeah, as, yeah long as, he's, as long he's as he stays healthy it. and stays out of trouble um, and keeps his mind right, I mean, he is, 
as talented, if not more talented. Well, I don't know if he's more talented than Roy Williams. He's as talented as, as Jordan for sure. Yeah. Uh, but he is uh, he's a special prospect and to have him alongside B. John Robinson right now. That's why as a longtime Texas observer, those are potentially two of the better players Texas has had in a decade. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you start saying the, the ceiling is 10 and two and the floor is five and seven, and you're thinking, wow, that's the best they're going they can do with two of those guys, two of those types of guys that, that points to me, what needs to happen at quarterback. They need to find somebody that, that can manage it, you know, and, and not get scared when the bullets come. Uh, that's the, if I had to say one thing about Hudson card, that was the most, uh, the most worrisome last year was that when the bullets started firing, he, he looked like he got unsettled. And that's not all that uncommon for young quarterbacks, but I don't know that, I, I don't know that the guys, other than when Colt McCoy perhaps was concussed, he ever looked that kind of frazzled, right? And, or even Sam Ellinger to that point. Um, so those guys, usually when they show it, they show it early. Um, and so that's, that's my concern, I guess, for Texas at large. They have the, a couple of special players right now on the roster, but we don't know if they have the defense and we don't know if they have the quarterback. Yeah, well, look, however the Steve Sarkeesian era plays out, um, no critic of Sarkeesian can argue without, with any evidence this one assertion that I made throughout my postmortems last year. Every game, he's going to scheme up three or four touchdown passes. Can you complete the pass? He is going to create a big play just by X's and O's and, 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 and you know, an intuition about what the defensive call is going to be. Can you make the play? Can you, can you throw it? Can you catch it? Can you protect? And if well, they've got the guys, death, Texas yeah, is surprise in a good way. That's my point. They've got the guys at running back and receiver, in my opinion. Now let's see if they have the quarterback. Yep. All right, Paul, thanks a bunch, man. I appreciate it. We got to do this more often, dude. Absolutely. Anytime, man. Y'all take care. All right. Take care of yourself. Thanks, Paul. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.